0: Is that allowed to y'all too? Yeah, good, man. Keep going. <laughs> All right, um, let's pray before we uh, read God's word. Father, Lord, we are grateful that your spirit is here with us, that you meet with us when we come and meet with each other and, and, and worship you and meet with you. Father, we pray now that you would, sit, you would fill us with your spirit in order to open our eyes and... Change our minds and our hearts by your word. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Right. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter eight. We are wrapping up chapter eight this morning, uh, continuing our our study at the book of Mark. We're going to start reading in verse twenty seven. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Father, once again, we ask you to bless your word as we receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when I worked on the rigs, I was a driller. Uh, That's a... Uh, 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 an industrial, an industry term, meaning, hey, I was the boss of the crew. I ran the rig. I, I told the guys what we needed to get done at that time. And when I first became a driller, and I was a young guy, I was like 20 years old and, you know, puffed up with pride because, man, I was, I was that guy. And so I, the guys that would come to work for me, I'd tell them, hey, there are three ways we can do things around here, okay? You can do things the right way, you can do things the wrong way, or you can do things my way. Okay? My way is the way we're going to do things here, okay? We're not going to do them necessarily the right way. We definitely ain't going to do them the wrong but we're going to do them my way. Why? Because I'm the one who signs the, the, the forms at the end of the day. I'm the one who takes the heat when we didn't have a good day, and I'm also the one who's going to say, hey, it was all the hands when we did a good day. Man, man. That's that's not a good way to live life, you know? Like it's a good way to live life if you're Jesus and you say, "Hey, we're going to do things my way." It's like, "Okay, yeah, you're Jesus, you're perfect." But when a when an arrogant, prideful 20-year-old says, "Let me tell you something. We're going to do things my way, okay?" It's just not a good recipe for success. Jesus shows us a different way, a better way. In our text today, Jesus is telling Peter, along with the disciples and the crowds and us, hey, you need to do things my way. You need to do things my way. And it's going to look different than what you're used to. It's going to be different than what you think it should be. See, the religious leaders, they didn't like it. The crowds didn't like it. And today we're going to see the disciples The disciples don't like it, and if we're honest, a lot of times we don't like it either because we we get it in our minds like, no, this this is the way it should be. This is the way I want it to be, and Jesus says, no, this is the way it has to be. See, we don't do life our way. We do life Jesus' way. And we approach Jesus with this attitude of like, yeah, Jesus, I'll do things your way until I find a better way. And then we go, oh, you're my way. That's which way we're going to go. Even Peter did this. And we're not much different. So we're going to look at this text in in two different ways, okay? We're going to look at this Doing things our way and doing things Jesus' way. And both, both of those ways are going to show us the truth that we don't do life our way. We do life Jesus' way. And doing things Jesus' way has a great reward. Doing things our way has great peril. So doing life our way, verse 32 and he said this plainly. He said it plainly to the disciples. Hey, I'm going I'm to die. I'm going to be put to death. I'm going to be ridiculed. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It's basically, like, like the, the verbiage here means like, almost like he kind of took Jesus aside like a big brother. And he's like, come on, man. You know you're not. You know that's not really going to happen. Like, you need to stop talking like this. The guys don't like it. We don't like it. Before you know it, the crowds are going to go away. And, like, come on, you're the Messiah, man. You're the Messiah. You shouldn't be talking like this. And, and when he's saying these things, we can, like, see the disciples kind of in the background going, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially Simon the Zealot, right? Because he's like, man, you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. You can't die. What's wrong with you? And what does it get him? What does it get him? Jesus then rebukes him. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Now, look, this this is a different type of rebuke, okay? Because of the, like, it's the same word, but the verb tense makes it different, okay? The the verb tense used here is, is one. Like, like, let's pretend you're watching a parade, okay? The verb tense that Peter uses is you're looking at that one float, and you're like, man, that, that's wrong. The thing Jesus, the, the verb tense Jesus uses, you're seeing the whole parade, you're seeing the path that it's on, you're seeing the start, you're seeing the end, and you know the trajectory that that parade is going. You see the whole thing, Jesus uses that kind of verb. It's it's the summary verb of like, everything you said is absolutely wrong. And it's satanic. It's not just wrong, it's satanic. Why is it satanic? It's the same temptation that Jesus was tempted with in, in the wilderness. When Satan offered him, look at the world. All this can be yours if you bow down and worship me. What was tempting about that, Satan was offering him a crown without a cross. You can have all this. You can rule all of this. And you don't have to go there where you don't want to go. Do it my way. And Jesus said, no way, man. I'm not doing that. I came here for a specific purpose. And his own boy, one of the chosen 12, tempts him with the same words. Nah, that's never going to happen. And it had to be tempting because it's offering the same thing. Jesus, you can have a crown without the cross. Satanic thinking. See, Peter got it wrong. What about us? Where do we get it wrong? Where do we think that we get a crown without a cross? You know, Jesus says, hey, a student's no better than their master. He says, hey, if they did these things to me, they're going to do these things to you. A slave or a servant, however you want to translate that, is no better than their master. If Jesus suffered, if Jesus had a cross to get his crown, there's a cross before we get ours too. And he's going to give us one. That's what scripture says. One day we will receive an imperishable crown. But a lot of times we remove suffering from the equation, don't we? Because, man, suffering is hard. It's it's not fun. That's why it's called suffering. And we're like, man, this can't be right. Jesus suffered so that we don't have to suffer. Well, that's right, like halfway. He suffered the wrath of God so that we don't have to. But he says, hey, you will have trouble in this life. You will have suffering in this life. And we oftentimes think that suffering is removed from the Christian life. But let scripture direct us back. There is a way that seems right to a man. Its end is death. And for us it seems right that we shouldn't suffer. And if we're not suffering for Jesus' sake and for the gospel's sake. Chances are that the end of that will, it will end up in death. So what does it mean to do things Jesus' way and not our way? So we've, we've just looked at, hey, we, we, this is doing life our way. It ends up us saying, no, Jesus, that's not right. This is right. What about doing life Jesus' way? The next few verses bring up so many problems for Christians ...because of our misunderstandings. Verse 34, "...and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." See, there's a cross involved in our lives as well. The cross, you know, we wear them on our our chains. We, We tattoo them on our bodies. We put them in our houses on the walls to claim, Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. But but that's so foreign to the mindset of the first century when this was written, okay? It's the equivalent of us today wearing an electric chair around our neck. Jesus saying, hey, take up your cross is saying, hey, you will experience suffering and torture and death if you're going to follow me. Torturing, suffer, and death. Unheard of to say that. This was a criminal's death in shame and suffering, exposed many times, exposed naked for the ridicule of the townspeople. Take up your cross. Disciples had to be like, whoa, whoa. For they, they go from nodding with Peter saying, yeah, yeah, he's right, to like, whoa, whoa, whoa. hold up. A cross. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. Where's the Lord called you to lose your life, your old life? For me, it was a life of drugs and debauchery. And Jesus says, hey, hey, do your life your way, Vince. you're going to lose it it's going to bring nothing but death and pain and sorrow to you and everyone around you even to your community there's a way that seems right to a man it's end is death Death is not just a a, a physical death, though, it's a spiritual death. See, just as Adam and Eve were told, hey, don't eat from the tree, you will surely die. They did. They died. Spiritually. And that was followed by a physical death. Maybe your life is one of same-sex attraction. got to lose your life in order to save it. If you if you act on those things, it leads to death. Maybe your life is one of secretly watching porn. It will lead you to death. Maybe your life is one of sexual fulfillment that is not in the confines of marriage. It will lead you to death. Maybe your life is about making as much money as possible so that you can can you know, get away from the perceived sufferings through being able to, to pave your way with a life of ease that money brings with it. It will lead you to death. It will lead you to death. And the flip side of that coin, though, oh, the, like, like Jesus doesn't just come and, and condemn. He says, he says, hey, if you give these things up, you will save your life. And that's not saying money's bad, okay? It's saying like if you're chasing after money for fulfillment to end your suffering and to ease your suffering, you need to reevaluate those things, okay? It's, it's not saying that sex is bad. It's saying if you are trying to find your fulfillment in that, you're not going to do it. He's saying lose those things. Save your life. What does he mean by save your life? eternal life eternal life God has placed eternity in the hearts of man we we long for it we think about it when someone dies what do we naturally say oh he's in a better place she's in a better place because we know there's something that comes after this and Jesus is saying hey you want, you want that good life? You want that life that's free of suffering? Well, well give up what you want now to get what you, what you need later and what you really long for. See, those, those desires, those lusts, those cravings, he's saying, give those up for me in the gospel and you will save your life and it will be kept in the Savior's hands where nothing can pluck it out of his hands. It is secure, secure. See, we don't do life our, our way. We do life Jesus' way. And his way is a better way. Verse 36, for what is it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? You know, a lot of times we look at this and we think of money because the word profit is in there, Right? It it, it misdirects us a little bit. But Jesus is talking about anything that pulls us away from him. Those things that offer us a crown without a cross. Those things that say you can have life without suffering. Those are the things that he's saying, hey, what, what does it matter if you gain all of those things and in the end you lose your soul? Does it do you any good? You're still dead and and your soul is gone now and there's nothing that you can do to get it back. A life of drugs, forfeiture of soul. Life indulging in sexual fulfillment, not in line with the Bible's teaching, forfeiture of soul. A life lived seeking riches and fame and fortune, forfeiture of soul. What can you give in return for your soul? Nothing. But Jesus is the only one that can redeem a soul back from hell, that can can bring salvation to a soul that has been lost. Jesus is the one who can do that. And he says that he can give you life. And in order to give you life, it cost him his. That's that's the cost of the redemption. What can you give? Nothing. What can Jesus give? He says, I'll give my life. I'll give my life. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. These words give us hope and assurance of being accepted. See, if we live a life that is unashamed of Jesus, telling people plainly that he has chosen how we live and we live that way for him and by him and through him, he won't be ashamed of us. See, if we answer for him, he will answer back for us. On that day when when our accuser comes to us before God and he says, you can't can't let Vince in here. Let me tell you what he's done. And he starts naming all these things. And our faithful advocate stands up. And he says, "Let let me tell you what I've done for him. I've wiped all that away. And I've given him a new life. And he wasn't ashamed of me in the life that I gave him after I took all those things away from him. Many times I'm still ashamed. It's not perfect for any of us. What we say about Jesus leads to what he says about us. What will he say to you? What will he say to you one day? Will he say on that day, well done, good and faithful servant? Will he say the other words? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And it comes down to us being ashamed or not and us embracing the suffering that comes from Jesus' name. See, we will experience suffering on behalf of his name, be it in our jobs, in our families, in just in the regular circles that we we move in and live in. It will come. Do you embrace it? Because he's put it there for us. This is where it all comes together right here. We don't do life our way. We do life Jesus' way. What does that mean? It means, it may mean you don't get to live where you want to live. It may mean you don't get to work, you don't get to live how you want to live. It may mean you don't work where you want to work. It may mean you don't date or marry who you want to marry or who you think you want to marry. Let me put it that way. may mean you don't get to sleep with who you want to sleep with. But our faithful Lord and Master, he will give us what we need. He will give us what we need. He'll have us live where we need to live for him to work his purposes in our life and to accomplish certain things in and through us. He'll have us work where we need to work in order to do those same things. He'll have us marry who we're supposed to marry or not. If the path of suffering he's laid out before us is is one of singleness and one of of longing to be married, he may say, hey, this this is where I've called you to suffer for my sake. But He'll give you what you need. And he'll give you also what you need in that suffering to to stand up and to bear up under it and to keep walking for him because that's what he does. And there we will save our lives and find it and keep it and we will not forfeit our souls. You see, we don't do life our way. We do life Jesus' way. And if we do it his way, we live. It's not a, a drudging like, no, I'm going to do it. No, it's like you wake up every morning and, and you, you actually get to live life the way Jesus planned for you to, the way you were made to in relationship with him, following him. His decrees, his rules are really set out for optimum human flourishing. And when we do things his way, we experience that. And it's hard because the rest of the world is going to say, hey, this is where happiness comes from. This is where fulfillment comes from. These are the things that that the world desires, and you should desire them too. Don't you want these? And we go, man, that looks cool. That looks cool. That looks cool. Maybe I'll dip my toe in the cold waters of baptism. I'm kidding. They're cold today. That's why I say that. Don't dip your toes in. Stay strong. Jesus will give you the strength to stand firm. And you might be thinking, man, Vince, that sounds so legalistic. You're telling me I'm supposed to follow the laws and commands of Jesus. That's a legalistic way of life, Vince. No, legalism is following a set of rules thinking you can earn your salvation. Okay, that's what legalism is. When, when, when we know our salvation is secure in Christ and his work alone and our faith in him, then following his laws and commandments is called obedience, not legalism. And, he, and he's set out a certain way that we should live life, and that certain way should be marked with like, like a tension between us and the world. And that tension is revealed in suffering. How do we do this? We do this by living unashamedly Christian lives. When we're at work and people ask why we work there, we don't say, well, you know, it's the only job I could find. It was, this was the only place hiring. We say, you know, the Lord directed me to work here. I don't know why, but the Lord put me here. And I believe he has a purpose for me here. When we're with our friends who know some of the unique temptations and struggles that we have, and and they just say, hey, just, just give in already. Just act on those things. You don't have to keep denying yourself here. We say, no, Jesus has ordered the way that I live, and he calls me to this standard in this area, and I can't do that. And when we're tempted to not say that, Jesus, we've we got to remember that Jesus promises to not be ashamed of us if we aren't ashamed of him. And he wasn't ashamed of us. He hung on a cross, enduring the full weight of God's wrath against sin, naked, exposed, being jeered at, ridiculed for what? For our sake, for the sake of his people. For the sake of his people. To bring them before the Father, unashamed of them, having been cleansed by his blood. and Having done that, we see, hey, we don't, we don't even deserve to do life our way. We do life Jesus' way. So the question today is, are you living life your way or Jesus' way? You see, on the rigs, doing things my way was a disaster, okay? Like, I I alluded to that a little bit. Let me tell you, the first year of me drilling, I went through literally 100 guys that worked for me. And at the end of a year, I was like, I had a bunch of guys that were no good. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. I'm about to get fired because these guys don't work right. And I started thinking back. A lot of those guys were really good roughnecks. A lot of those guys were as good a roughneck as me. They were just different. And I was unwilling to examine the way that I was running my life. Are you willing to examine the way you're running your life? Examine it next to the way Jesus says to live life. And if they don't line up, are you willing to change? Are you willing to repent of your sin and come to faith? That he has a better way to live. And when we do that, if we do life Jesus' way, the way our faithful Lord and Savior calls us to, people will notice, and they will be like Ray's mom and say, something is different about you. Something is different. The difference only comes to us because of verse 9-1 says, and he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. You see, 11 of those disciples and some in the crowds, they saw the kingdom of God come in power after the resurrection. See, when when Jesus walked out of that tomb, that is the kingdom of God coming in power. That is the kingdom of God showing up saying, watch out, people. It's here. The resurrection required a death. And that death was to pay for the sins of his people. He died and rose again to make it possible for sinners like us to live a life like his. And that's what he calls us to. See, we don't do life our way. We do it Jesus' way. And when we do, he makes a promise in Romans 8. Romans eight sixteen: The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him. That's half of the promise. The other half is in order that we may also be glorified with him. That glorified is that eternal life. He says, man, you, you do it my way, you're going to suffer. It's worth it. You will be glorified with me as well. So church, let's go. Take up our cross of suffering. Denying ourselves and following our Lord and Master. And we're going to see Samantha who's, who's coming Following Jesus in baptism, taking a step of obedience here in just a a minute. Let's pray. Lord, help us, Lord. Help us to uh, embrace the suffering that you've called us to. Lord, help us to, to not believe the lies that we can obtain a crown without a cross. Lord, help us when it gets hard and we're tempted to bear up under that temptation and to find that way out that you promise. And Lord, help us to look forward to that day knowing that if we share in your sufferings, we will also share in your glory. What a great hope that is. Father, fill our minds and our hearts with that hope so that we can endure the suffering. In Jesus' name, amen.